New Year's resolutions make a lot of sense. If you could improve one thing every year, the results would be amazing. Unfortunately, only about 8% of people are actually said to keep their New Year's resolutions. On this podcast, I'm going to provide 13 ideas for New Year's business resolutions. Welcome to Fractal Marketing. My name is Jared Doyle, and this is the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to grow their company through smarter marketing. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with marketing tips, strategies, and insights to enable you to grow your business. You'll hear from fellow entrepreneurs who share their learnings and insights on how they're growing their business. You'll also hear from marketing professionals who will give you easy-to-execute marketing advice. And of course, you'll hear from me. You might be an accountant, a graphic designer, a recruiter, or a startup founder. But if you're the best-kept secret in your industry, then your business is just not going to grow. Now let's get talking about New Year's resolutions. When you're a small business owner, that's no small feat. But even if your last year was your best, and especially if it wasn't your best, you know there's always room to be a little bit better. And the end of the year and the start of the year is a great time to you to celebrate the success and to look at the ways to improve that. What you did last year, moving into next year. So to make the most out of the year to come for your business, let's commit some time now working through a few ideas that'll help to make your business better. I'm not going to be so arrogant as to suggest that you should follow any of these. Rather, I hope the following serve as ideas, not prescriptions, and give you some kind of catalyst for your own New Year's resolutions and a successful 2020. Right, let's get into some of these ideas. Firstly, number one, I will get focused and become more productive. This is a great resolution for those of us who waste time on social media or find ourselves succumbing to other kind of distractions and things that naturally jump up in our everyday social media fed lives. And we spend the rest of the day wondering, how do we not get everything done? Now, I'm not going to pretend that I'm the best at this. I'm far from it. But for what it's worth, here's the process I use to manage my time throughout the day. I use Google Suite, so Google Calendars, Gmail Calendars, to manage my diary. And what I do is, there are some meetings in the day. That's normal. I put them in my diary. That blocks out the time. But what I also do is work out the tasks that I need doing. I work out the time that's required, and I block that time into my diary as well. Now, what this does is create a realistic expectation of what I'm going to be able to achieve over the day. Now, for tasks in my diary, I mark those as being not busy time. And what that means is that clients and other people are able to book over that time and double book my diary. So if I've got an hour's worth of client work to get done, and I've got that in my diary on a Monday, well, a client can still book an emergency phone call over that same period of time. And what I'm able to do is pick up that block of time where I was doing client work and move it later in the week. Now, as the time for that work becomes close to being due, or I start to find that during the week I'm running out of more free time... I start to change that those work blocks from free time into busy time, and I can't get other meetings booked over the top. I also use Google's speedy meeting function, which means an hour meeting or an hour block is 50 minutes. That gives me the 10 minutes to get up, make a cup of coffee, do whatever I might need to do, even check social media and, and get that monkey off my back and then get back into it. 30-minute meetings or 30-minute blocks take 25 minutes because it's not realistic to think you're going to work in absolute solid blocks. I also put in there time for lunch, time for other tasks, family chores. I combine my family diary with my work diary and try to stick to that. And the goal is if you do that realistically at the start of every day, then, and you achieve your diary, then that should be a successful day. And you've got to be realistic about that. 
And hopefully this also helps you realize when you've really got a big day, you can see ahead and go, well, I'm going to have to be going till 10 o'clock. And it also challenges you early on in the day when you're planning your day to pick up some of those tasks that maybe aren't super important, that aren't due right now and push them to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, later in the week and give yourself some realistic goals. So anyway, that's how I manage and get my focus going throughout the day. I hope it works for you. Number two, I will charge what I'm worth. I think this is true of everybody, but do you often feel underpaid or undervalued in the work that you're delivering for clients or customers? And if so, this resolution, I hope, will help you find the right audience and revamp your strategy a little bit. And it's essentially, you just need to think about how can I increase what I'm charging for the time that I put in? Now, this is a super simple one for me to say and really hard to execute. Even as I'm recording this, I'm thinking to myself, really, Jared, what are the chances that you want to increase your hourly rate? Well, I think it all comes down to understanding that your best customers are the customers that see the value in what you're doing. And you've got limited time and limited hours in the day. And so the challenge really is look to introduce new pricing, look to sort of grandfather old clients and old work that you're doing, keep that charging, and then just try to increase the charges that you present to new customers. And what will happen is if you do find you're running out of time, well, the great thing is you can always lose the clients and the customers that offer less value to you and focus on the new customers. As a little side note, the benefit of coming forward with higher pricing also creates price anchoring. So this is the behavioral economics psychology where you basically counter to what most people say, which is let the other person make a first offer. Go out there with the first offer, set the price high, and then if you need to fall back, all you've done is fallen back to your original pricing. But ultimately, you do have to start off each year, I think, with a goal of trying to make more money for the same amount of time. And if that's in what you charge your clients, then that's going to be a great approach. So on to number three, I'll grow my team and I'm going to delegate more. Now, I don't have a team, but I am practicing delegating more. So if you have more work than you can handle and no time to focus on growing your business, it's time to stop wearing all the hats in your business and start bringing in others to pick up the slack. This resolution focuses on building your team, not just your employees, but the people around you who support your business and delegate effectively. If you're a marketing consultant like me, accounting is probably not your best talent, let's say. It's not the activity you like to spend your time doing. Hire a bookkeeper, get your accountant on board, outsource the things that are non-core, focus on the core of your business and delegate. If you're lucky enough to have staff, then really, you know, make sure you're utilizing them first and keep the slack in your life. But I think for most people listening to this, one of the simple tasks is to start recognizing what it is to hire professionals to support your business. Yes, it's going to cost a little bit of money, but they're going to be better at it. Not just save you time, but they're going to produce better results. And I find the irony is that people like myself who charge usually time for money is that we're terrible at outsourcing because we don't actually think about it that way. And yet we should be the best. We should be the people that appreciate hiring other professionals to help us. So if you're a freelancer or a small business owner, think what it is to support other businesses. And overall, if everybody was to do that, I think we'd all rise. So on to tip number four or resolution idea number four, make sure your website content is the best it can be. My company website, that's my digital storefront. That's the brochure, the one place most people go to to read something about it. If I had a physical store, I'd look after it. But I'm going to be honest, I ran the same website for Fractal 
for 18 months, didn't update it. Even though mentally and to the people I was working with and the business owners, I'd changed what I was doing, I hadn't really changed my website. So I've started to put some effort into doing that. And I'm really going to try by January, February to update my Fractal website to reflect exactly what I do. And I would suggest that you do the same thing. Take a step back, think about your business, think about your positioning, think about your customers, all the things I've spoken about on lots of podcasts before this, and try to translate that into your website. You can't let it go stale, and you've got to recognize that people will go there and read what you have on your website. Sure, if you're a personal service provider, you're probably not going to have hundreds of people reading your site, but the few that do are your potential clients, and they will read that and assume you've put some effort into it. So take the time now, in this sort of quieter period of the year, read your website and decide, does it really reflect what I want to put forward as my business? And if not, change it. Right, so moving on to number five, this one relates to your website as well. And for those of you who listened to a few podcasts, you'll know that my first love was SEO. And so number five is concentrate on getting backlinks. Backlinks are effectively the easiest way to increase your search engine ranking. And it's all about telling Google that other people think your content is relevant and important and that you want to link and that they want to link to it. So what I want you to do is start 2020 with an SEO mindset. And that SEO mindset has one goal, and that is to get links. Because links equal votes, votes equal power, power equals your position, and higher positions in Google bring more people to your website. So if you want to make one SEO goal, and number five is concentrate on getting back links to your website, it will make a difference and it will help your business. So idea number six, become your own online PR agency. Look, you don't have to hire an expert to get great PR. As I mentioned in an earlier tip, if you do hire an expert, you're going to get better PR, but it doesn't mean you can't do it and grind it out yourself. If it takes a little bit of time, it'll take a little bit of creativity, but the increase in site traffic and additional purchases, and going back to number five, the increased links should make the effort well worth it. In my opinion, PR is one of the best combination marketing channels to combine with SEO, because those links, when and if you get them, come with huge power. So, PR, how do we do it? What do we need to do? Well, I've covered that on a previous episode. So if you want to go back to the episode with Michelle Wintz, where we spoke about how to kick PR goals as a startup, I think you'll find some great ideas in there. But PR doesn't have to be on all the time. And what I'm thinking about here is not talking about yourself, but looking forward into the year for a time when you're going to be able to be predatory with your PR. Something that'll happen in the year, some kind of news where you'll be able to jump on and be the topic of conversation. The other thing I think you should do, if you want to set one goal, sign yourself up to SourceBottle. If you go to the website SourceBottle, put your email address in, you'll get daily alerts from journalists looking for experts to give advice. And build that into your routine. Read that newsletter, look at what's there, and when you find the opportunity, jump on it and see if you can't get some PR for your business out of that newsletter. It's great. I've done it. I've done it for clients, so I know that it works. Right, so moving on to resolution idea number seven. This idea is a bit more practical and it's less about growth and more about catching something before it goes wrong. And this one's for business owners with two or more founders and it's to enter into some kind of owner's agreement. I've been horrified recently to discover the number of people who are in partnerships in business and don't actually have a written agreement that address the different consequences of divorce or death or disagreements or any of these kind of things. There's just a general assumption that the standard off-the-shelf company constitution is going to sort these kind of things out. 
And look, unfortunately, when things are going well, it's never a problem. But when things go badly, that's when you want to call on it. Now, a really quick way to get this conversation started and one specific action point you can do is to take out key person insurance. Now, I'm not an insurance expert or in any way have any great insurance knowledge. So this isn't advice. This is just me saying, I found the conversation with some of my past founders to be really interesting when we talked about getting key person insurance. So my layman's interpretation of what this is, is that it's the company taking out insurance on the founders. Because look, if the worst was to happen and your founder was to die or become incapacitated in some way and couldn't work, then we've got a bit of a problem. We've got potentially a business partner with half of the business equity who's unable to perform their duties, which you probably would rely on. So what happens is the company takes out an insurance policy that says in the event that the person who's being insured is unable to work, unable to perform the full function of their business, or obviously they're dead, then the company, the policy pays out to the company so that the company gets some money. Let's say it's a million dollars. That's just like a life insurance policy. It's pretty simple. It's pretty standard. But what is really great about this policy is it instantly, we have an agreement that the shares from the partner who's unable to work instantly transfer for that million dollars. So what happens is business partner becomes incapacitated. Insurance company pays to the company a million dollars. You then have a standing agreement where the shares from that founder or that business owner transfers to the company for the million dollars. So what's happened here? The incapacitated business partner or their spouse or their next of kin gets a million dollars. The company buys back, say, half of the company or the equity from that founder or that business owner. And what that means is those shares basically go off the register. And so if I had the other 50% of the company, I now effectively own 100% of the company. The person who's had this horrible thing happen to them, their family or themselves have a million dollars and everything goes on to be great. Now, this often ends up with really interesting discussions because I find most, especially founders of startups, get really nervous about this saying, but what if the company's worth 10 million? Well, sure, take out a $10 million life insurance policy, but that's going to cost you a lot of money and it costs the company a lot of money. The other thing to think about too is this is a business life insurance policy. So it's actually a form of way that founders can get life insurance that's tax deductible. Because if you think about it, it's a business expense. Now, again, I'm not an accountant, so this isn't tax advice, but I'm pretty sure that's the way it works. So this is a great way to sort things out. Look, and there's also no reason why every year you can't expand it. If it so happens you've found the next Google or Atlassian, then great, revisit that policy and up the premium to two or three or $4 million. I'm sure if Mike Cannon Brooks has this in place, it's not for a million dollars, but that's the idea. And I think, look, it starts off a great conversation about, well, what happens when things go wrong? And I think it gets the wheels turning about, maybe we need to consider other situations and actually come up with a business owner's agreement, something written down that we can hold each other accountable to. I've done it with, I think, most of my businesses. So I'd highly recommend if you've got a business partner, take a look at forming some kind of agreement and definitely look at key person insurance. So idea number eight is to conduct a security audit. Now, that sounds daunting and you're like, yeah, no way I'm going to do that. No, no, it's not a full security audit. Really what I'm talking about here is I want you to realize that if you're not using password management, some form of password generation tool, you've probably been hacked. So one of my goals last year was to try to launch 12 different business ideas. 
in 12 months. And one of those business ideas was the idea that I could do look through the dark, deep web and find people's passwords that have been hacked for them, kind of like a private investigator for passwords. Now, the business idea didn't play out, but what I did discover was of the people who applied to test my service, I had a 50% strike rate. So 50% of the people who put their email addresses in, I could find their password. And I'm not any great security expert. These were just passwords that are out there. And it shocked me to discover just how common it was that people were using the same password they used for MySpace. And you might think, I haven't used MySpace for years, but people are still using the same password they had on MySpace. And as far as I can tell, every single MySpace account was breached and all those passwords are available. So go to some of the free password sites, check out whether your passwords have been there and do something about it. Get something like 1Password or LastPass, sign up and start generating new passwords for every site you go on to. And if you're lucky enough to have a business that has a few staff members, start insisting that they do it as well. The reality is, and you know, I'm not a security expert, but it's the easiest point of access that somebody can access your company data, your personal data that you're going to get. And if if these big companies are getting hacked right now, the chances are you could be hacked. You just, it's just, you're probably not a big enough prize at the moment, but I want you to think beyond just professional hackers and, and, So teenagers in hoodies in darkened rooms. Think disgruntled ex-employees, people who are just snooping around, competitors. There are non-sophisticated hackers out there. If they can get access to your password online and test it and discover that they can get into your business accounts, then there could be some damage done. So my advice is go to the first website, Have I Been Pwned? And I'll put a link in the show notes. Put your email address in. See if your password's been leaked. They'll tell you what it is and you'll kind of, I think you'll be shocked. Second, go to a service like 1Password or LastPass and start generating random hard to guess passwords and make them unique for every website. Look, it's a bit like the previous one. It's not about growing your business. It's about protecting your business if things were to go wrong. Right, so let's move on to idea number nine and let's get back into things that are gonna make your business bigger or grow faster next year. So number nine is, do your friends actually know what you do? So the average person now with social media empowered, we know about 600 people, but you'll probably be surprised to know that most of those 600 have absolutely no idea what you are. Look, they might think, oh, you know, Jared, he's a computer guy, right? That's what he does, but they don't really know what it is. And I've spoken on a few podcasts about positioning, the importance of getting your positioning right, but... What I want you to do is not to pitch to your friends and family. Absolutely not. That's that's the worst thing you can do. That's the quickest way. And that's like becoming the business owner, Tupperware salesman, or the, um, the Amway salesperson of your own business. No, no. What I mean is just take the time to make sure people really understand what you do. Talk about your barbecue pitch. What do you say that encourages conversation so that people understand it? You're not trying to sell to them. What you're looking to do is turn these 600 people that you know into people that can refer you other work. If people understand that, for example, if people understand that I help owners of businesses work out their own marketing, their own positioning, their own strategies and tactics rather than hiring big agencies, then of the 600 people I know, they're going to know business owners and go, oh, you should speak to Terry. Terry needs somebody like you. And so it's not about pitching. It's just about making sure people understand what you do because that's going to start a conversation that can potentially lead to new business. Idea number 10 is all about LinkedIn. 
So if you're like me, then you've embraced LinkedIn as a medium for your business social media profile. But who are all these connections anyway? Now, I find that I've built up a big group of connections over time, and I've not really spent the time to work out who a lot of these people are. Yeah, I might have bumped into them, but I think just sitting with a glass of red wine at night, scrolling through some of the connections, understanding who these people are, and getting a better idea, inspiration can strike. You can come up with a reason to reach out to these people. Yes, sure, I could buy a script and blast out a standard message to everybody saying that, you know, I've got a service, come and buy it. But that's impersonal. What I'm talking about here is genuinely scrolling through, looking at what jobs people are in, thinking of ways to start conversations and not asking for someone to use your business. I'm saying find an interesting way to start a conversation with somebody who you have some kind of connection with, maybe something you can do for them, maybe some kind of advice you can give them for free, like pay it forward kind of approach. But just spend the time to find the people in your local market who you think might be interesting. You've got the connection. You've got permission to market. Don't abuse it, but start a conversation because you never know where that conversation might lead you to. And I think if you start enough conversations, there's probably some business hidden inside LinkedIn. Right. Idea number 11, reduce those SaaS subscriptions. So if you're like me, every month you've got recurring SaaS subscription payments, you know, software as a service. Now, some of these, you might have a zero subscription. You go, well, look, I need to pay that. I can't just have my accounts go offline. But I recently discovered I was still paying for a business. For I had two businesses on my zero subscription and one of them hadn't been a business for some time. So I challenge you to go through your credit card statements, look at all the SaaS subscriptions and really ask yourself, have I used that subscription service in the last month or two? And if not, cancel it. Look, you can always sign up again. You might be on a rate that's a bit lower and it might cost you a bit more money to sign back up again. Chances are, if you really found yourself in that situation and having worked with a few SaaS subscription companies, I'm sure if you emailed in, you'd probably find you could get the old price because you know their marginal cost isn't that high and you have been a customer before. What I find is a lot of these subscription services, I'm paying for it, but I don't really use it. And it's scary. All of a sudden, five, six, seven of these little subscription services become two, three, four hundred dollars. And then you've got to start thinking about it and saying, is it saving me that kind of time? It's a great tool, no doubt. But do I really need to have a recurring bill for custom, you know, for stock images or some kind of tool? So I think have a look at your SaaS subscriptions and see if you can't self save yourself a few dollars by removing say, the non-essential and maybe the more luxury SaaS subscriptions that you've got on your credit card at the moment. Right. Second last idea, number 12. Do you actually prospect for new business? We often give a lot of lip service to the idea that I grow my business through referrals, so I don't need to do anything. My business just grows organically. But I want you to start thinking about setting aside some time each day to actively look for new business. It might be cold calling, but that's a little bit crass. I'm talking about things that you can proactively do to drive your business forward. Referrals are great, but if you just rely on referrals, I think you might struggle to really grow the business at the rate that it should. You need to factor in time to grow your business. And like we said in the previous point, if you don't have time, hire someone to help you do it. You need to grow your business because that's really what we're all in the game for. And so just relying on referrals really doesn't put you in control. You're receiving the referrals and you hope that it's going to grow. If you have a great marketing engine, it means you can proactively go out there and grow your business. So what's the action point here? Look, what I want you to do is set aside some time each week, 
pick one task that you're going to make your marketing task you're going to start and get going from there. Now, it could be to start a podcast. It could be to start blogging. It could be to start tweeting or following or commenting or whatever it is, but set aside some time to do it. If you've got a little bit of time, my suggestion would be just put aside 15 minutes each day to go onto LinkedIn and comment meaningfully on one of your connections posts. Because as I've said before, I find everyone shouting on social media. So if you can be the listener and make a comment, that's going to make a difference. Is that going to result in, you know, hundreds of inquiries into your business? No, but it's going to stop you from being, from being forgotten about. So that's the easy one. If you want to take on something a little bit more adventurous, then hey, why not make 2020 the year that you start your own podcast and start talking into a microphone like I am now and using that as a marketing tool to drive your business. Right, onto the final idea, number 13. Do your customers, do your clients actually know the different ways you can help them? Now, speaking from personal experience, I've been absolutely horrified to find out that a lot of people don't really know what I do. And look, it's tough for people to send referrals if they can't articulate how you add business. Many of your business contacts will you know, review with their clients, they'll have chats, and often they'll be in a situation where they could refer business to you, but they don't really know what you'll do. So what you want to do is firstly, explain to your clients exactly what you do. Make sure they understand the full value. I had a meeting only two weeks ago where I discovered they were looking to hire somebody to help on their business positioning strategy. And I was horrified to discover this is someone who I've worked with for, well, I guess well over a year on and off. And they didn't really realize that was something they could help with. They'd kind of pigeonholed me in their mind that I was sort of good at Facebook and social media and hadn't really thought about social media, sorry, positioning and how I might be able to help them. So I want you to really spend some time explaining all the things you can do, even if it's as explicit as sending an email out to clients, welcoming in the new year and saying, hey, here's some of the things that I do, some of the things that I can help you with. So in the spirit of that last idea and to to finish off this podcast, I thought I might say to you who's listening to me now, here's some of the things that I've done for clients over 2019 that I could potentially help you with. I've helped people with startups with their pitch decks to raise money. I've helped professional service providers with pitch decks to help them win clients. I've helped people with their social media strategy. So I've helped them on Facebook. I've helped them test products on Facebook, ad copy, video. I've helped business owners with podcasts, launching podcasts, learning how to run a podcast like this and how it can help really drive your business. I've helped people, businesses with their SEO strategy, with link building. I've helped them build out processes. I've helped business owners with PR and combining their PR with their SEO strategy to get that dual effort and that end result. And probably what I spend most of my time doing is helping business owners really niche down, discover what their core value proposition is, how to position themselves in a market, and what channels they need to do to explore to grow their business. That's kind of the chunky bit of work that I've really enjoyed doing this year. So I guess that's my shout out to some of the things I've done in 2019. If you're listening to this and you're already a client and you didn't realize, hey, I didn't know Jared could help me launch a podcast or I didn't know Jared knew something about SEO. Well, there you go. There's some of the things that I can do. And heading into 2020, if there's any way that I can help you with any of those, please just shoot me an email. I'd be happy to help out. And if you're not looking for any of those things at the moment, 
as always with this podcast, just jump on to Spotify, Google, iTunes, wherever you're listening to this and give me that five-star review and a little bit of a comment there, assuming that it's positive, of course, and that really helps me with my marketing and my business. So thanks a lot for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. This is right at the end of 2019 and I wish you all the best for 2020.